Welcome, everybody, to Mormons on Mushrooms. Uh, just a reminder that this is a storytelling podcast where we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a more fulfilling life. A lot of times on the podcast, we discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health top priority. Uh, lastly, the opinions offered by our guests don't necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Now, are we trying to come up with a starting point? What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be important to maybe talk about what, 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 what do we do? Like, why are we doing this? Why exactly are we having this conversation and what do we hope to accomplish with it? What, you know, the idea of having an episode that is used as some sort of like, oh, you can go to this episode and listen. Um, there's, not a, there's not any one episode of ours that is, is like, uh, first of all, they're not chronological. And there, there's also not like this, like, here's the ones that you need to hit. It's just like, hit the ones that you like that resonate with you. And if you're not liking one, turn it off. You know, you can start at episode 65, you can start at episode one. So that might be important, or that might be helpful for me to just kind of get us, like, drop us into that space of yeah. what, what are we talking about? What are we doing? Well, let me kind of chime in with my thoughts and then let's, I can go around and get everyone's, but um, you say they're not chronological, but they are chronological with our journey, Doug, you know, when we started it. Um, so I think people who have been following since the beginning have almost been on this journey with us of like, uh, kids in a candy store. I don't know, or like the fool going on his fool's journey, the tarot or whatever. And so I think there is, you know, a cool thing that people have followed from the beginning have seen our growth as they've been growing simultaneously. And then I think, I don't know, kind of what I'm feeling now is I think where the podcast is at right now, we're seeing people come in who are like, well, one, you've got 66 episodes. Like, uh, you know, I don't know if I can start from the first one and go. Right. Um, and two, I think a lot of people are coming in who have zero experience with psychedelics. And I think we're going to see that more and more where in this, I would call it a psychedelic renaissance or whatever we want to call it, where psychedelics are becoming more mainstream. And I think they're there to stay because, or they're here to stay because, because of the internet and stuff, they're not going away like they did in the sixties and seventies. Um, I think the, the public knows too much. And I think you'll see laws start to change as we've already seen. And so you're going to see a lot more people attracted to these, these medicines for healing and have zero experience and we don't have a lot of experience and we're not super experts. We brought on Peter, who at least um, is a, uh, what, what would you call yourself, Peter? Uh, in integration coach. Integration coach, psychedelic prep and integration coach works. Yeah. Yeah. Who has more experience, but we at least have some. And so I think we want to do an episode that we can point people to who are coming in brand new to this space and who, who maybe the stigma is still there or the stigma is finally starting to shift who can, it, this can be just like a, a guide, a reference post to be like, all right, we don't have all the answers, but here's where at least you start. And here's where you can get 10% of the knowledge to get there. And, and then from there, this is, you can at least start from there. And I think it can always be just this reference point for people. And 
I don't know. I think that could be a cool deal. And it's a little out of sorts. I think we're going to try not to go down as many tangents, which I can't promise, but, um, you know, we'll try to stick to the, the questions and answers on this one a little bit. It's an experiment. It'll be fun. Yeah. Well said, Mike. Well, Peter, do you want to chime in? Sure. So what that brings up for me is, yeah, this idea of, of a 10% edge, or I know, I don't know everything, but I know 10% more than the person that I'm talking to. And that 10% has value for them. So the intent of this episode is not to make any sort of definitive answers because really there are no hard and fast answers in this work. There are some conventions, there are some trends, there are some advice that has been passed down either through our personal experience or through books we've read or podcast episodes that have been recorded or other people that we've talked to even some leaning on indigenous traditions in as respectful a way as possible. But there's some pretty, there's some pretty certain things that we can say while not 100% are probably a good place to start from. And then, you know, adjust as necessary for your particular situation. So that's kind of the spirit in which anything we talk about is intended. These are going to be mostly reflections on our own individual experiences, experiences we've heard from others, things we've read, research we've reviewed, um, though we, none of us are researchers. Well, Mike, you might be going into this program, but we're not right now. And so I think saying this is our, this is our answer to it based on our experience. And we've had more experience than maybe some people that are listening is as good place, as good a place to start as any. I love that. And yeah, I'm not, uh, yeah. Uh, you guys, I'm struggling in this program. I, I'm trying to read. There's so much reading and the words are so big. <laughs> So no, I'm trying to get what I want out of this program and it's uh, not being an expert, but it'll be a fun thing. Yeah. Lisa, do you have anything to add to this? I think just what you guys said already, it's just more about our experiences and what we can offer based on our experiences and what we may have read versus coming at this as an expert. So one, one way to frame this might be in those 65 episodes that have already been released that have chronicled your journey, what might somebody look to as kind of highlights of that? If you are to pull out nuggets of wisdom in response to some of the questions that we're going to talk about or the poll answers that we're going to talk about, how would you pull out those nuggets of wisdom so that somebody doesn't have to listen to all 65 episodes to get there? Or we can point them to specific 65 or some of those 65 episodes like you would in any kind of conversation. If somebody walked up to you and asked your particular opinion about this particular thing, what would you say? And I, and I don't know that there's a lot of things that any of us would say, well, I'm not qualified to answer that. So I'm not going to say anything. We'll say something, but with the appropriate asterisks and disclaimer and whatnot. Well, I think all of the episodes are a culmination of healing, not necessarily specific to the medicine and how to do it. So I think all of those are more like storytelling instead of instructional, um, except for the one that we recorded with you already, which is the one that I've sent many people to because we really sat down. We're like, OK, it's set, setting, intention, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah. So that's a good point to bring up because we did do this once in a way, but like, I think there's some more questions that come up and we can get a little bit more to basics on this one too. And I also want to release it. I don't, it's been a while since I listened to that one, but I think we probably went on some tangents too and stuff. Right. I don't know. It's like, I think I kind of want this one to be a standalone. I'm, I'm not even going to number this one. It's just going to be like a special 
one that we can just point people to. Yeah. So with that in mind, I think we've made the disclaimer that we're not experts. We know a little bit more maybe than the average Joe coming in here. And so some of the answers might be, look, get a therapist. <laughs> most and that's, that's most okay of the too. answers might be seek therapy. Yeah. Which is not, is I think really good advice for anyone starting this journey is to have an integration coach, a therapist, someone who's familiar with the subconscious, someone who, uh, who's familiar with what might come up to be working simultaneously with the self-work. I mean, I just think, and maybe we'll get into it with one of the first topics here, but you are playing with your unconscious, you're playing with your psyche and there might be things come, come up that I, I just know. And I'll give one example here. When I left my ayahuasca ceremony, I felt like I was an empath and I had to take on the pain of the human race. And we even called it the plight of the empath, right? Yeah. That's what I felt like my, oh, I'm like, okay, well, this is just my plight. I, I'm an empath and I need to absorb everyone's pains and sorrows. And then I talked to my therapist and she's like, mm, okay, let's revisit this. Mm-hmm. And now with working through my therapist and integrating, and integrating I see that what grandmother ayahuasca was showing me is that this is what I do, not what I should do. She was highlighting, you realize you, you, you pick up people's energies and you think they're your own and you try to absorb it. And you, you feel like you need to carry the world on your back, but really you don't, you can release it. You can set boundaries. You can do other things. But one night of ayahuasca, I could have walked away from there and just feeling like, no, this is my, my answer. And so it's important to be working with someone simultaneously on this process. In, uh, in some of the indigenous traditions of, of where I live in Alberta, Canada, I live on what's called treaty seven lands. And it's, it's a bunch of different indigenous nations that are, that are in the same geographic area and two separate people who are familiar with those traditions in the last week have told me that the kind of the way that I approach things in the work that I do say in space holding is called hollow bone. And I don't know all the details, but it it vaguely, it refers to the idea of sitting with somebody and witnessing their energy, witnessing that empathy experience that you described, but not taking it on myself, just letting it pass from them to me and back out the other side. Like if I put my hand on somebody, it goes in one hand and out the other, and it never sits in me, it just leaves. And so that's kind of a, an interesting example of how there are indigenous traditions that talk about this thing that uses different language than psychology or psychopharmacology might use, but they're talking about the same thing. And there are nuggets to be gained from, from both expressions of this, particularly as we build new rituals and we build new traditions and we borrow from things that have come before, all in the name of how do I keep myself safe when I'm doing my own work or how do I keep myself safe when I'm doing work with other people? And I really like that idea of I can sit and witness and have the most amazing you know, sense of what someone else is experiencing, whether it's the high highs or the low lows and not take it on myself. It's super cool. I feel like I should probably say something at some point, but I'm, you don't have to, I not, got nothing to add. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I'm enjoying this. I think it's perfect. And I think maybe we, we kind of dive in. Um, So as far as topics go, we can, I think the first one I want to address is this notion of 
because I don't think we've hit it a lot on this podcast where psychedelics are a tool, but, and they are safe in terms of like, you know, mushrooms, for example, with physical symptoms, like there's no way to really overdose with them that you don't get addicted. They're not like physically dangerous, but it doesn't mean you everyone should use them or that you might be at a space to use them. And I don't think we really talked about that um, much that, um, you know, I think fortunately a lot of people who have grown up in the church, we've built up these very strong ego structures, the sense of self, the sense of like, or it's a false sense of self, but it's still a sense of self, this like rigid structured approach, which psychedelics are actually really good at shaking that up and shaking the structure and moving you. If you look at it like a spectrum, moving you more to a center, but you could be approaching it for you already don't have that tether to reality. You haven't built up a very strong egoic structure. And um, it, it's where it can bring on episodes of, I mean, I don't want to tie into the fear base here, but you are playing with your subconscious. It could trigger something. It could be a psychosis maybe or something. And you need to be careful and you need to be intentional and you need to know if it is for you, I guess. I don't know. Have you had anything like that come up, Peter, in your work or? Well, the idea that it's not for everybody. Yeah. Is really true. Um, I'm, I'm taking in the evenings, a psychedelic psychotherapy training course and the typical things that are contraindicated in that course are, are the things that I think pretty much everybody knows. Anybody who has a family history or a diagnosis of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, probably best to steer clear unless you're under medical supervision, because they can either bring on those symptoms earlier than they might otherwise appear, or they can really exacerbate them. The same, same kind of issue, depending on what other medications somebody might be on. If you're on certain kinds of MAOI inhibitors and you take certain psychedelics or psychedelic like substances, they can cause serotonin syndrome, which can be fatal. So you're right in the sense that there's a lot to be aware of, but there's not a fear that's necessary. The more that people are informed about their own, their own situation, their own circumstances, their own physiology, what medications are they on, what family history is, they can find out whether this stuff is for them. And if it's not, that's not the end of the path. I mean, we talked about therapy, but you're right. Shalise mentioned, like we're t- we talk about the stories of all the other things that the psychedelic experience has unlocked for some people. But I know for me, I needed to take psychedelics to realize I didn't need psychedelics. All the other things that gets talked about so much, breath work, meditation, mindfulness, you can still do all that stuff. Like a holotropic breath work session can get you to the same place as a psilocybin experience like exactly the same place with no substances. So there's no loss for somebody that finds out, oh, it's not for me or it's not safe. You can still have the same experiences. You just might need to go in a a bit of a different way or or a more roundabout way that doesn't necessarily have all the drama around it yeah, or the hype around it, but it's still possible. You can still have the same healing, just might have to go a different way. That's great points. And um, just kind of wondering, because maybe this is too anecdotal, but like there's schizophrenia in my family. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, I don't know necessarily what history means and what you, I mean, go proceed with caution, like, I guess with that, um, because I don't know, I'm glad I proceeded, but at the same time, man, that first journey I went on, I thought I was going to become a schizophrenic. I'm like, yep, this is it. Um, and then, you know, every time I do it, I come back to reality and I'm fine, but you guys will be there for me if I don't one day, right? <laughs> you know, in every, in every situation, not just some people's first experience, but in every, every, every experience, there's a leap of faith to a certain degree of, well, what's going to happen. And nobody knows ever any time. And if somebody says they do know what's going to happen, I would look at them a bit sideways. So the unknown element of it is always going to be there. But yeah, there's some, you know, play it safe, asterisks, talk to your doctor if you're able, talk to your therapist if you're able about what you want to do. And and probably a lot of that stuff can just be mitigated. And it's not, and it's so when we say don't do this, don't do that, again, it's coming from a place of we don't know your particular circumstances, maybe best to err on the side of caution, but no. Every person who has a family history of schizophrenia is not going to get schizophrenia from doing psychedelics, but the risk is enough that you need to make that decision for yourself. Ideally, you know, in communication with your family, with your therapist, with your doctor. Yeah. (laughs) I, I think one of the biggest things that we, that we hear from people is kind of along the line, like in the same vein of what we're talking about is, is like a fear of, they don't know how the medicine is going to, how the tools, I guess we're saying, how the tools are going to affect them. And I think people have these, there's still so much stigma out there and, and misinformation about what happens when you're using these tools. Uh, You know, people, people have these images of, you know, I've been blackout drunk before and I don't remember what was happening. I don't, I don't, you know, I lost you know, control of, of my, some of my inhibitors. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I don't have a memory of it, you know, the next day, that's not the case with, um, you know, the the doses of, of, of these types of tools. I mean, you, you are still in control. Uh, you still kind of are aware of, of, of self. Now I'm, I'm not talking about going into like some deep dose. I think we're talking to people who are looking to try a beginner's, uh, you know, trip here. And there's not this sense of, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to be capable of. I, I, I might say the wrong thing. I might tell somebody's secret or I might uh, behave, uh, you know, inappropriately. And that, that just, that's not really a, a thing uh, with these types of things, you know, um, you know, people will say to me that they're, they're not, they're not ready because they're really worried about a bad trip. And I, I've stopped saying bad trip. I mean, you know, there's dark trips and, 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 and fun trips or whatever you want to say, but they're all informational and to, to fear a dark trip to, because it's, because it's been for the last 50 years called a bad trip. And you, you hear all these stories about people, you know, seeing demons and having all this kind of imagery. It's not really as, it's really not as true as all that. I mean, you really do go through some, maybe the dark night of the soul and you have to come face to face with some things about yourself, but you're, you're not really believing that there are 
dragons and demons ready to jump out and and physically harm you. Now that I mean, I'm sure that's happened to people, but it's funny that we're we're, we're taking such a cautious approach to why people shouldn't do it when the things we're talking about, as far as like a, a history, a family history of mental health issues, that's few and far between, uh, according to the research. More than that is the fear of having a bad trip or not knowing how someone's going to react on those types of things. That's all I got. Great. Well, and, and I think there's also, and maybe we should move on to another topic here soon, but there is something about like, okay. Yeah. Like there, there is some schizophrenia in my family, but when I work with my therapist who I trust and I bring up these fears, she's kind of like, look, man, you have such a strong ego. Your ego is like solid. Like I'll let you know when I'm worried kind of thing. And so working with someone who knows you and, and can gauge how strong that structure is, is invaluable too. So if you're like, Oh wait, someone in my family had it, go talk to someone. And, and I think we could, you know, through our uh, support community, you can find some people there, some therapists who will know and can really help you gauge that. Worth mentioning though, is I live in Canada. You guys live in the States in both countries. Mental health care is not publicly funded to the degree that it needs to. So to just say, go get a therapist is not financially possible for a lot of people. So it's, we need to, I think it's important to recognize that. And so I'm glad you mentioned the support community, the, the ability to connect with other humans who you trust, who may have already had their own experiences, not the same thing as a credentialed therapist, but can be, can be still very, very valuable. Even if you do have a therapist, very, very valuable because they're going to give you a very different perspective on what they know of you, what they know of the circumstance that you're trying to get into, and they might provide different reflections. So it's very interesting. We come back to the same place with both of those scenarios. How, how open and vulnerable do you feel safe being with the people that are closest to you or the people that you choose to associate with so that if you're asking them your opinion, their opinion about what might an experience be for you? they have all the information that they need to actually do that. And that's hard to do for a lot of people who may not have a close circle of friends, who may not have a support community. The connection to other humans becomes a really strong thread or undercurrent, probably through everything we're going to discuss. People that are asking these kind of fear-based questions, I would, I would be curious to find out how much of that is because they feel like they're needing to do this on their own, that they don't have other people that they can talk to about it even just to talk through what it might be like or hear somebody else's story, even that much can take care of probably a lot of the things that we're going to tick off this list we're looking at tonight. Yeah. So to sum up what we've just gone over so far, the first step is having the desire to want to experience the medicine, whichever medicine that you choose. I would say research each one briefly, just so that you know which one might suit your needs best. Second step would be Find a support community, whether that's friends, family, people in our support community. Mighty Networks is a good place to start for our Facebook support group and or a therapist who can help guide you through the, through the experience. And then I think a lot of people ask, which we can't super talk about, is how to acquire the medicine. But I will just go back to saying 
being in that support community, finding groups in your area. Uh, we call them wizards who, <laughs> who can help assist with that. Um, breathwork groups, meditation groups, yoga groups, there will often be connections there. And then the next step is actually doing the ceremony. So can we give some people concrete things that they can do or prepare for to make sure that their journey is as safe as possible? No, I don't think we can. (laughs) I don't think there are concrete things that'll make sure your journey. I I don't know the answer to that question. I'm, I'm willing to be uh, wrong and be told differently, but I, this, this is the thing about this conversation because I don't know, like I know people that prepare and do dieta and do the whole thing and get, you know, get an intention and fast and, and, and meditate and all that kind of stuff. The first time I did it, I was, I was drunk off my ass on whiskey and just gobbled up a bunch of mushrooms and went to a reggae festival and (laughs) it changed and it changed my whole life trajectory. And so I, I'm interested in hearing like some good, uh, like good suggestions and uh, ways to prepare, but I, I'm not ready to say these are the concrete things you can do. Cause I, I know people have done all those concrete things and they have a real dark trip and they go like, I can't ever do that again. <laughs> so I, I love you. And I'm not trying to like be placed devil's advocate. I'm just trying to say, I can't put a stamp on here's how you prepare for a, a, a journey. No, that's totally a good point. And I think it's going to be different for everybody. But coming from the place that we do as ex-Mormons, just totally unaware of this entire world and then trying to start, they just need a starting point. Whether or not it's going to work for everybody, I think it's a good place for them to start and then figure out what works for them. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go on a big diatribe there. No, I think it's important to know that everyone's different and everyone experiences the medicine differently. And so, yeah, we can't say do this checklist like <laughs> us as Mormons like to do, like do A, B, and C and you'll be great. We can do A, B, and C and surrender. Yes. <laughs> oh, I mean, that might've been the thing right there. Could just be. prepare to surrender. Cause like I was going to say, I think it's great. You bring up that point because I was drunk with you on whiskey too and had the magical night. And then I'm thinking I would never do that again. You know what I mean? In that way. No. Yeah. No. Same. And so like now it's like approaching it with an intention and that. So yeah, there's a, it's a um, mix, but before we get there, I do want to hit a little bit more on the, cause we get this question all the time. Like, where do you find it kind of thing? And I know you talked about finding a wizard, getting connected with the community. It is the one, like, I mean, the big like legal thing that we have to skirt around because I think it's possessing and selling are what's illegal, not doing um, if am I right on that? <laughs> it's going to depend on jurisdiction. Okay. Well, yeah. refer to your law. Yeah. Don't take my word for it. But anyway, but I, I know at least in like our communities, that's where we really can get cracked down by Facebook and other things. And, you know, we're, we're fine talking about our journeys, talking about what happened, asking for advice, but whenever you're soliciting or you're asking um, for substances, that's where we get in trouble as a community. And so, I mean, just some advice there, Shalisha already mentioned it. We call it, you know, wizard hunting, you know, go find some local groups, maybe Kundalini yoga, maybe meditation. 
crystal shops, get connected, but then also just make some friends in our community. You know, you can just make some friends and then DM them and then ask them what's going on, you know, kind of like just make friends. Should I, could I even say DM them and ask them what's going on? Just like make friends. If, if someone says DM me, then I mean, I think they're opening the door to like, yeah, send them a, send them a direct message is what DM stands for. Yeah. Like uh, send them a text message. And that, that, that starts your journey. A lot of the conversation around legality is that we have on the Facebook group in particular ends up being not about legality at all because it's so jurisdictionally different. What we're really saying is we can't talk about these things because it violates Facebook's terms of service in a way that their funky algorithm auto detects the conversations in the community. And we get messages on the admin team that say, hey, you got to cut this out or we're going to either take over moderation of your community ourselves, or we'll shut your group down. So Facebook is the reason why these conversations get so tempered and why there's so much anxiety around them. Because if we don't have conversations just the right way, the algorithm thinks we should, it will shut down the group. And that happens a lot on Facebook. So that's part of the reason why we spun up the Mighty Networks community. So Mighty Networks is a software thing that really allows you to do what Facebook groups do, but more. But it also has an acceptable use policy. Theirs is a lot looser than Facebook. So essentially no buying or selling of illegal substances. Sure, totally makes sense. But they don't have a draconian algorithm automatically monitoring or shutting down conversations or entire groups without warning or uncertainty about what's going to happen. So it's a fun thought exercise to tease out and say, stop, wait, are we really thinking about what's illegal or just what Facebook's rules are? Because like in, in where I live, the Vancouver Police Department earlier this year led a campaign to get city council to unanimously decriminalize possession of all drugs for personal use because the downtown Lower East Side of Vancouver has one of the highest drug abuse and drug overdose problems in the country. And the, the position of the police, at least in Canada, is pretty much we got better things to worry about. We don't care that you're giving your friends mushrooms. Like, we don't care. It's really Facebook and the social media platforms that are the reason why people are afraid. That's a good point. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a plug for our mighty networks. You know, we can do that at the end, but like, I man, that's a cool group that's starting right now. You know, we got like 40, 50 people there and it's a cool little group and a more intimate group. And we can do so much more than we can with Facebook. Um, that's a quick plug, I guess, because I think that's just a fun. I just love that group. <laughs> link in the show notes. Yeah. Link link in the show notes. Um, I, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell the story of how I got connected with mushrooms because yeah. this question comes up all the time and we give the same answer and it sounds vague, but uh, you know, lean into the, lean, lean into the vague, I guess. So I, my therapist through our conversations, our, our meetings recommended for me to read Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind. I read Michael Pollan's book at my next appointment. I said to her, okay, how do I do this? And she said, I don't know. It's illegal. And so by putting out into the universe or into the, into this ether that I wanted to have an experience, I immediately had multiple opportunities from different uh, folks who just came out of nowhere who were willing to provide me with a, with a mushroom experience. So I know that that is not 
I know that is not like, here's a directory and here's the number you call and here's who you, here's who will hook you up. But I've heard that story told a hundred different ways. Every time someone's like, how do I track this stuff down? And we still get that question. We get it on Instagram. We get it on Facebook. We get it face-to-face. People will say, well, how do I find this stuff? I mean, if people ask me face-to-face, I have a pretty good answer for them. But if they ask them online, it's like, you, you put it out there. Put it out there that, you, that you're interested in it. And by doing these things that Shalice and Mike and Peter have mentioned, the mushrooms will find you. The mushrooms, the mushrooms are they're kind of magical. And so they're, they're tracking us down um, more than we're tracking them down. God, now I already turned a hippie, didn't I? Like we're trying to have like a real hard targeted. No, this is, oh. this is good. Cause I remember being in the, the very beginning space and being such a materialist and such an empiricist. And so, yeah, Shalice like saying, Hey, the context here is, is the ex Mormon experience. My ex Mormon experience would be to say that kind of stuff, that kind of, you know, feeling into the energy of this and manifesting. Come on. No, (laughs) like I was not going to be in that place and I would dig in my heels to not have that be the way. And so there is definitely, for me, there was a definite mental shift, but yeah, that experience, not just with substances, but with anything that I bring into my life is like, stop trying. And it just shows up, but to get to that place took a lot of work, but that's, the way it works. Like I don't have any better explanation than that. Same. It, it just happens. It, I mean, if it, Oh, you got to prepare. Well, suddenly they show up and you, you're prepared. <laughs> like, you know, I, I heard it once from uh, a shaman. Is there like a female version for shaman? Is it a shamanness or is it shaman? She's just, I, I, I think shaman. that, I think the MAN is making you feel like it's uh gender based, yeah, but it's not, it's not. Okay. It's not. No. A shaman who once said she had an experience where she saw the mushrooms and was like, the mushrooms are seeking the illnesses just as we are seeking the mushrooms. And so if you're being led to this podcast, the mushrooms, as woo-woo as, as it sounds, let's just do it because the mushrooms are seeking you, you know? Yeah. They're calling you. They're, they they, they want to get in there and mush up all your little sickness you got going in <laughs> they, they want to do what mushrooms do which is break down and decompose and bring life where there was once death and decay and they want to do that and so they're seeking you too and connect and communicate through the mycelium uh, connective network underneath the surface i mean that's that's literal and figurative beautiful so then i guess the next step would be like okay you got them. What are you going to do with them? Or you found a guide or a, a you know, I mean, I, I do think there is a value in our community too, because not only can you get connected to the medicine, but you can also get connected to a lot of different experiences. You know, we have people in our group who host retreats. We have people in our group that do one-on-one space holding, um, you know, kind of like choose your adventure on what you want to do. And so, um, I think I, I know we focused a lot on this in that one episode with you, Peter. Um, but do we should we speak a little bit about? But I know it came up in the Facebook when we posted today about what we should talk about tonight about intention setting and space holding. There's a there's an undercurrent that we didn't get in in that last conversation that I find really interesting. So you're right. There's a million different ways to do this, and and no matter how much planning people do, every experience is going to be different. So what's the common thread through all of it? So my question, I guess, 
Doug, for you, when you had a belly full of whiskey and you threw down mushrooms at the reggae festival, did you feel safe? Yeah, I, I felt safe because I was with, I mean, first of all, I was with Mike and I was with a, a, a friend of Mike's who I immediately trusted. Um, but this is also another, this is also a different conversation about, about feeling safe. I, I usually feel safe, you know? And so the, there are people who through trauma, through different life experiences have different, uh, experience with, with, with feeling safe. And so I can't really, I'm not a very good, uh, uh, spokesperson to the feeling of safety. Cause I've never in my life have I had a, a reason to not feel safe, you know? Perfect. Mike, did you feel the same way? Yeah, I felt very safe doing it. I mean, I think when the medicine kicked in and I was in the middle of the, uh, reggae festival with the butterfly man flapping his wings around me, I felt a little unsafe, <laughs> but I immediately <laughs> yeah. was shepherded back to a safe place. And, so yes, in the experiences where I was feeling good, I felt, I mean, we were sitting around a fire. We were listening to the most beautiful music in this small container. I felt completely safe and held. All right. So now to contrast that, Shalice, if you had been in that situation, would you have felt safe? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. Like, I can't imagine. Every time you guys tell that story, I'm like, nope, mm -mm, never. Now, when you were in the jungle when your ayahuasca ceremonies, did you feel safe? Yeah. I mean, also this is coming from an introvert point of view. So like, I don't feel safe in big groups anyway. I mean, I don't know if safe is kind of, I feel safe, but not comfortable is a better way to put it. So like for me to be able to release and surrender, I've had some of my most profound journeys by myself, but that's after already experiencing the medicine to know that I could do that on my own. Um, so my perfect little bubble is just home with some crystals and some fruit that I cut up and prepared beforehand. So I'm not handling knives while I'm on a journey and um, some nice music playing. And I let everyone know who might text me, hey, I'm going on a journey. So if I don't answer, this is why. That's like my perfect little bubble and bonus points if I have access to nature outside, not in my apartment, but if I'm in a place where I can just walk outside, that's like super bonus and super, super bonus if there's an animal that I can play with. <laughs> <laughs> well, and even, even in your apartment, them trees, those trees talk to you, you know, so. They do. Yeah, they do. So this is the thread that I'm interested in pulling on lately is what if if the question is, what do we do to prepare for an experience? My response to that person is a question back. Where do you feel the most safe? What kind of circumstances would we craft together? And this might be whether I'm holding space for somebody or I'm just, you know, they're going to do their own thing and they're just needing to talk to somebody about it. What would you need to feel first safe? And then second, what would you need to feel that the situation would be as, as kind of predictable as possible. And this is what we kind of talked about before. Are you in a space where you don't have to worry about whether you left the stove on or is someone going to knock on the door? Is your phone going to ring? But the undercurrent of that too is safety. So for me, my, my first few experiences were in a group retreat situation where there was about 15 people there, uh, both holding space and in the journey with me. And I felt completely and utterly safe. For me to do Shalice, what you just described, I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't feel safe. One, because I don't live by myself. I got my wife and a house full of kids and cats and rabbit and snake. I wouldn't feel safe having a journey in my own house because my circumstances are different. And so I, I feel like every person is going to have a different response to what do I need to feel safe? It becomes an even more interesting discussion if that person doesn't know what it feels like to be safe. Mm. So this, this is my experience in therapy recently is the recognition that I haven't felt safe in my body since I was like for almost 40 years until very, very recently. And I knew I felt that, but I could never put the words to it. So trying now when I'm talking to other people to tease out this weird sense of not knowing what safe feels like, but starting to walk through what that might look like. And from there, now you can get into the practicalities of I need a salt lamp and a light projector on the ceiling and this particular kind of music and my favorite water bottle. Why do I need all those things? Because I feel like in the experience, those will help me feel safe. That's such a good point. I was just going to say you're hitting, hitting with me on that because I haven't, <laughs> for some reason, I haven't connected that, but I'm thinking of two experiences. Um, one was in the recent journey I just did, which I've talked about on the podcast, um, where I did a mushroom ceremony with someone who was holding space for me and was a guide, a trained guide. And I've never felt so safe for my body just to fully surrender and just experience it, just experience whatever it needed to feel. I just, did, I just felt completely safe and held. And that allowed me to go deep. I, you know, I could have taken the same dose and done it on my own, but I, there would, there was always be something I'm worried about to give the other example I was going to share. And I think this is what I would be worried about is one of the first times I did a bigger dose um, was in Oregon and I was around the campfire and I remember it was the first time I was getting visuals. So like the first night Doug and I did it. I don't, I don't, did you get visuals, Doug? No, no. I don't know if we did a big enough dose to really get visuals or whatever it was, but I wasn't getting like visuals, but sitting around the campfire and whenever I closed my eyes, I was transported. I was getting sent somewhere, another galaxy, another dimension. I was going places and the same guide fucking love the guy was there next to me and say, right. We can say his name, Eric, man, Eric, yeah. I fucking love Eric. Uh, love you, Eric. Love you, Eric. Uh, he could tell what was happening. Every time I closed my eyes, I'd go somewhere. And he's like, Mike, it's okay. I'm watching your body. I'll watch your body. You go have your adventure. And I realized, Oh yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried about like, if I'm going somewhere, like I'm sitting next to a fire, who knows what's going to happen. But he just him saying, I'm watching your body go on your journey allowed me to surrender and go into it. And I felt safe, I guess, when he said that. And I felt safe before when I was being held. There was that element of safety. So in that case is, you know, we talk about surrendering to the experience a lot. Is surrender a, th a thing you do or is surrender an outcome, a thing that happens because you feel safe to let that occur? I think it's both. Because I think you have to intentionally choose to let go. And if all of the, the stars align and you in your situation feels safe, then that also becomes an outcome based on your preparation, I think, or based on your intentions. Um, because I know at least for my first ayahuasca experience, I was not ready to surrender and nothing happened. 
And the next night I just had to sit there and do a meditation with my mala beads saying, I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. And then I went into the medicine very easily, but I think it was simultaneously having that container where I felt like I could let go and also choosing love instead of fear in that situation. Because I know a lot of times, like we were saying, people are really scared to go on the journeys because they don't know what's going to happen. And so they're really locked up in this fear state, which doesn't allow them to to really surrender to the medicine at all. Why can't I'm so I'm stuttering so much, guys. I got this. I can talk. Um, (laughs) Let me see how adorable you are, Shalise. Struggling right now. Really struggling. Yes, I think you have to make the choice. And I think it's easier if you can do some sort of meditation, if that helps calm you or whatever it is that's your meditation, if it's dancing, singing, playing an instrument, actually just going into your mind and sitting quietly, listening to music, whatever it is that makes you feel relaxed, I think is a good step in being able to surrender, getting comfortable, not only physically, but mentally, spiritually, emotionally. I love that. And Peter, I just want to bring up one more point with that, because I do think there is also the element of, it is something that also happens to you too. And you can do all the preparation, but you just said it, Peter, when you said, I didn't feel safe in my own body. And there is an element of like, no matter how much preparation, no matter how much intention, no matter how prepared you are and how much you're like, I'm going to go into this situation and surrender. It can be a very autonomous nervous system response to the medicine where you, no matter what you can't, your nervous system is triggered and it can't, um, it can't surrender. But I also feel like in those moments, and this is what you might, maybe we get into the bad trip situation, but you might have a quote unquote bad trip, at least for a time, because your nervous system is triggered. It's going into a fight or flight response but at the same time, you are releasing trauma that maybe you've stored in your body for a while. And so that's kind of a tricky thing because, you know, when I said in that one mushroom experience, I fully surrendered for the first 30 minutes, I was like flapping. I don't know. I was shaking and flapping and my body was doing all this weird stuff. It was releasing something. But because if that was my first mushroom trip, I would have been even, even with someone holding space for me, Phil, I would have been like, what the fuck's going on? I'm going crazy. But I knew my body knew, and I guess my mind knew kind of like, no, this is what's going to happen. And it was funny. Cause even I was having a conversation earlier that week with a, a guy and he was like, Oh, you're going to start shaking. And I'm like, start shaking. I've never shaken before in a mushroom trip. Sure enough. I was shaken, you know, so maybe the universe was giving me a little bit of like a, a signal, but I guess I'm getting a little off topic, but I do think there's an element of no matter how hard you try mentally a lot of this is just a nervous system thing. And it, when we drop into our bodies and, you know, the body keeps the score and we've held the trauma in our bodies for so long that our, you know, sometimes we just won't be able to fully surrender. And I don't know if that's rambling or what it is, but. Totally relevant. I mean, cause again, from the ex Mormon perspective, I can't recall a single time whenever I was ever taught about what trauma is or what it means to store thing in the bo- things in the body, it was always the mind, always the mind, that the body is a thing that I'm occupying, but it should be disregarded and, and it's evil and you don't listen to it, don't pay attention to it because that's Satan. And 
to get to a place of saying, no, my body is something that I can have, you know, an, at a certain level, an intellectual conversation with like, how's your day going? How are you feeling? Is such a pivot from years and years and years of conditioning. But again, it takes a long time to get there. So somebody who's approaching this, not even from someone that's relatively recent out of the church, but just somebody who hasn't, who hasn't had the education or the firsthand experience of what it means to feel into your body that's a terrifying thing because it's like meeting something unknown that you've never met for the first time or worst case that you think is evil inherently. How in the world can you be expected to have a connection there coming from that place? Yeah, I think that actually that brings up for me when you guys were both talking, I was thinking of breath work because taking slow intentional breaths actually does tell your nervous system that you're not being chased by a lion, (laughs) that your body is safe when you take those long, deep inhales. And even just recently, my cousin was holding space for her husband. Um, I won't say her name, but love you if you're listening. Um, And (laughs) she called me because she was having a lot of anxiety during the trip. And I think it's just because she was worried about being the trip sitter for them and holding space. And I just, I asked her, are they safe? Yes, they're safe. Okay. Are you safe? Yes, I'm safe. Then there's nothing to be anxious about. We just need to relax your body. And I just told her how to do the square breathing, which um, she told me later was really helpful. So maybe I could share that. It's just a very simple yogic breath where you breathe in for four seconds hold for four seconds, breathe out for six seconds, hold for two. So it's a really easy way to just really use your mind, body, soul, connect everything all with your breath, bringing your intention to your breath, slowing everything down, and that can help relax you. I just love that you brought up the breaths, Charlize, because if you're ever feeling like you're too much in your head, and I always forget it too, just like, Breathing is one of the best ways to tap back into your body. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, you know, just one more point on this. And I know where we're going to go on tangents, but maybe it's relevant is that part of releasing, I think, trauma is that your body is going to be feeling things that it's resisted feeling for a while and resisting in the moment. And it comes up and it came up even like last night for me. I had this night where... You know, we talked about me going back to school or whatever. And, you know, with the podcast and work and I don't know, everything coming up in my life, I just had this moment of sitting there with my mate and being like, I can't do it. I just, I don't know what I signed up for. I can't do it. And she reminded me, she's like, yeah, you're in the grips of something here. You know, you're, you're having a flashback. Don't think your way out of this kind of thing. And I was like, and just that reminder was like, you're right. And because in the moment it feels hopeless, it feels because that's what I felt at the time, you know, it's bringing back like an emotional flashback of feeling hopeless, of feeling, feeling inadequate, of feeling like I can't do it. And you have to feel it, you know, but there is a recognition. You what the mind can do is recognize that like, oh, I know it feels this way it'll pass. The wave will pass. But in order for the wave to pass, you have to, you have to feel it and feeling it. It means you feel hopeless for a little bit and you feel, you feel all of it. And 
I think that's back to getting in touch with our bodies is realizing that it's okay to feel and it's safe to feel. And the more you feel, the more the waves will come and go and flow. But if you're resisting that resisting feeling, that's when you're in your head. And so, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is the flow will come the, the body. It's just like such an automatic thing and such a, where you can't, you might not even be able to identify what's triggering it and that's okay. Just feel it. And what the mind can do is just re, remind yourself, okay, it'll pass. You know, the sun will come up tomorrow, whatever. And did that make any sense? You guys? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mike, I think that, I think that makes a lot more sense than you're giving it credit for. Um, I, I don't, maybe this is like a poll of the team here. I, I find that I, maybe this is mushrooms or yoga or, or all of the other methodologies that we've mentioned. I hold my breath. I, I find myself holding my breath. And so suddenly if I start feeling like I'm anxious or I'm feeling some kind of fear, or I've got that weight on my chest, or I've got that pit in my stomach, or there's something that's not, I can't even identify it, but it's just not, I'm, I'm unsettled. I don't feel right. Over the course of the last three or four years, I've, I've uh, luckily, or, or thankfully taught myself to, uh, you know, do some of these grounding. I mean, you, you, Shalice, you mentioned the, the square breathing. Like if I can just say, wait a minute, am I holding my breath? That, that, that might be adding to my sense of panic or anxiety or fear or nervousness or whatever it might be. And to just take a minute, you can do this anywhere. You know, you don't have to be, you know, set up a yoga mat. You don't have to you know, set aside six hours to do a mushroom trip. You don't have to take a break from work. I mean, you anywhere you can just mentally say, wait a minute, I might be holding my breath. What if I just breathe? What if I just focus on breathing for just a couple of minutes here to re-regulate my breath? Someone gave me a Fitbit recently. Everybody see my fit? Everybody see my Fitbit? I do. And with that cool like bracelet I, with it, man. That's like that's yeah, the best part. I got I got a yeah, I got a cool bracelet with you it. Got like I a didn't hip, like wearing a Fitbit. You got like a hippie bracelet with it. I do, yeah. <laughs> but recently I was feeling that and I wanted to check it. You know, my Fitbit follows my heart rate. And I was feeling some kind of anxiety. And I looked down at my heart rate and it was like at 110. And so I just went through a breathing exercise and I watched my heart rate. I watched it live, like over the course of three minutes, I watched it drop to like 72 as I just did a, a very simple breathing exercise because I was holding my breath. It was having an impact on my blood pressure. It was having an impact on my heart rate. And all I had to do was the first and last thing we do in life, which is take a breath. That's it. I don't, I don't know. That's the end. I, I don't, I don't have any. No, any, can any, I just add one more thing to that, Doug? Is, yeah. uh, it's funny because I was talking about last night, right? And remember I was at your house, you know, last weekend and my allergies kicked in, right? They kicked yeah. in last night and my nose got stuffy. And I feel like from that moment on, as soon as my nose got stuffy, that's when like emotionally I took a turn for the worst. I couldn't breathe like I was. And I don't know. I think there's a correlation there. And there's some, that, I mean, that, 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 that allergy thing comes on you like a hurricane, man. Yeah. It came out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Like we were just having a good night and all of a sudden I'm like, I've got to blow my nose like a million times. <laughs> <laughs>
I thought, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. And I, I came down with that. the Rona, right? Probably. I did. I thought, oh shit, Mike's got Corona. <laughs> Uh, have we lost? Have we? Are we lost? Where? where no. We well, let's just. What other? What other topics? How to help someone through a bad experience is something we haven't talked about. Yeah. I mean, I think part of that is getting back into their body, but I don't know. Any Any thoughts on that, Peter? I'm feeling like if if we take if anybody takes anything away from this conversation, it's the two things that we've really hit on. What do you need to engineer a situation in which someone feels safe and your breath? And with those two things, that covers like the vast majority of the kinds of questions and, and, and suggested topics to talk about. Like it's really, it's this weird scenario where it's that simple. It's not necessarily easy, but it's that simple. What do you need to do to feel safe and return to your breath? So what's happening during a bad experience or a difficult experience, that's going to depend largely on the situation. If you dropped three grams and you're at a rave, yeah, that's going to probably be, that's going to be difficult. Why? Because there's so much sensory input happening that it's hard to feel safe. There's too much unpredictability to feel safe. So what do you need to do with that person to get them to feel safe? Well, probably get them out of the music into somewhere with some soft light or no light um, earplugs, if you can get them. Why? Because you want to get them back to a place of feeling safe and then work with them on their breath. And I think every other conversation would be variations of that kind of idea. I love that. Yep. Do you have more to say on that, Shalise? Nope. I'm just going to say one thing about the after of that, because I think that's a really good thing. If, you know, someone's having a bad trip in the moment, you know, I think getting them into their body, their breath, I have, um, you know, even through people who've reached out through the podcast and I think that's one of the reasons, I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning of why we're doing this episode is because fuck, we're not experts at all, but like, because we do a Mormons and Mushrooms podcast, we get a lot of questions and a lot of stories and a lot of people asking advice. And, and most of the time it's like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> um, but there is an element of like scary things can come up during a trip, scary images, the subconscious, just like a dream, just like a nightmare. Uh, things can come up and, you know, I've had experiences where people don't know if it's, it, you know, if it was a resurfaced memory, like a repressed memory, or if it was a dream. Um, and that's where I think we're getting a little bit out of some of our expertise here with been talking to it, but I just wanted to recognize the fact that that can happen. And that's where I think having a community, having a support group, having a therapist or a guide or whatever to help you through that and help you work through the imagery. You know, I shared the story of like how I felt after my ayahuasca journey, but we've also had some where it was like, I remember someone and I think I'm okay to share cause I'm not going to mention names, but like you need to kind of break away from your husband. There was some sort of imagery that they were seeing with that. And you could very well literalize that, but it could also be the medicine saying, you're in a codependent relationship. It's time for you to give some space for yourself. Not that you need to go and literalize and divorce your husband, but that you need to separate that. You know, I've had some people see like sexual images with them and like parents or something and thinking, Oh, I was abused. And that could be the case. It could be a resurface memory. It could be that. Um, or it could be a very symbolic thing of like, maybe you were suppressed or, or something, it, it, you know, it, you don't fully know. And so, 
I guess there can be these scary images come up and it can be easy to literalize them, but that's where working with someone. And, you know, I know a lot of guides and I know therapists who, you know, we're connected through and some that, you know, might not be as expensive as people might think, especially for a few sessions to work through a journey afterwards. If some of that stuff really comes up to really, because I think that's important to really talk through that stuff. So because regardless of whether, you know, images come up and it's a repressed mem- memory or a, or if it's symbolic, the feelings behind that are real. And you can trust that like whatever feelings surfaced as part of that is your body trying to release those feelings. The images that's attached to it could be a memory, could be a symbol, could be who knows, but you can trust the feeling and work through the rest, I guess, is what I want to say. What you're talking about is introducing the concept that, that, that isn't on the list that I'm looking at, but we didn't get to in the other episode, which is integration. Like, what do you do after those few hours in the experience? And so, again, for the people who may not have access to a therapist or a counselor or a psychologist or a trusted friend or family member, well, what do you do? Things like local integration circles. Uh, so again, shameless plug for the, the Mighty Network support community on a weekly-ish basis, we lead sharing circles or integration circles um, on Sunday mornings, typically, but not always, where people can come and just share what their experiences have been. And sometimes they are recounting medicine experiences. Sometimes it's just what's going on in their life. The value the value that I've observed comes from two major ways. One, the act of vocalizing, verbalizing to another human being what your experience was puts pieces together in the mind and in the body to make sense of nonsensical imagery and experience that that I've found comes out in a unique way. Journaling is great. Body work is really important for integration, but the the act of speaking vocally to another human has a certain uniqueness to it in terms of processing and making sense of an experience. So that's the more broadcast side. The other side, the other part of the value for me is to be witnessed by somebody else without judgment, no matter what I say or what I experienced and just be heard is super, super powerful. And so, yeah, that's a role that therapists play a lot, but there's a different vibe when it's in a group space. When you're sharing with a group of people, whether it's in person or in Zoom, I don't know, there's just something really, really powerful about that. And where everybody knows that the purpose of that space is to just witness what people are experiencing in that moment or what they have experienced previously. And that simple act of vocalizing that thing being seen and heard in that space, just, I don't know, a weight falls away, stuff clicks, it makes sense. Um, I, I led a circle last week and I was one of the people that shared because I, I had my own medicine work uh, a week and a half ago and I had some stuff to process. And coming out of that meeting, there was a lot of stuff that clicked into place that made sense in a different way than it had before I'd attended that, before I'd both spoken and heard and witnessed other people speaking. So the power of community in this in addition to credential professionals, in addition to journaling, in addition to yoga or meditation or mindfulness, like all of these things work together, but there's, there's just no substitute for deep human connection and sharing these experiences. And it's beautiful. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad we're, I'm glad you brought that up, Peter, because I think that of all the things we talk about, the integration process is the thing, right? I mean, 
regardless of how you get there, as far as the, the substance or the practice or the technique, it's the real work is that integration process of making sense of what you experienced. And that comes through these group conversations. It comes through journaling. It comes through, uh, you know, I love that you talk about just speaking it out loud because a lot of times it's a jump, it's a jumbled nonsense, uh, you know, in your brain. And as you try to find the words to speak it out loud, it helps with that integration process. And there's, I mean, there's work to be done. I mean, meditation is no joke. It's not, it's not easy to always get down and, and spend some time just going into yourself because it's, you know, you can get bored, you can get distracted. There's a million other things to do, but that, that integration process is the most important. That's the, that's the, that's the thing of, of all these things that we're doing. It's, it's all for not if, if we don't move forward and learn and, 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 like I'm saying the word again, integrate it into our life. But I want to go back to dealing with your own uh, dark trip or helping someone else who's in a, in a dark trip. And I'll be very quick. I'm sorry if I'm taking up too much time here on the, on the storytelling, but I I've had dark trips. Mike, you were with me when I was having a dark trip, we were in Zion. And if you can't, as the person who's tripping, if you can't find a way to change the channel, which can be as simple as change the setting, let's go for a walk. Um, let's change the music. Let's turn, <laughs> turn around, like turn your body 90 degrees, you know, helps have someone who will, who will, in a, in a non-invasive way, help you change that channel. If you want it, I mean, if, if you want to go deeper into the dark trip, go deeper into it. That's what I say. But, you know, I've been around people who were tripping and someone was having a tough time and everybody wanted to be so helpful that they were in this person's face and they were trying to get her to taste something that would, that would, uh, you know, take her out of it. And they were right up in her face talking to her about, about stuff. And it's like, no, just give her a, give her some space, give her a second help her change the channel and help her help her feel back grounded to that safe place that these are the ways to deal with um, someone having a dark trip is, is if, they, if, 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 if you're having those dark thoughts and you want to observe them and go into that, then go for it. But if you want to get out of it, there's ways to get out of it. And it doesn't have to be so um, invasive. You can just help, a, help a person, something as simple as changing the position they're sitting in or going for a little walk or, or, you know, closing their eyes or opening their eyes or, or just breathing with them. It doesn't have to be in your face. You're having a dark trip. Let, let's get you out of this. You're okay. You're safe. Hey, you're safe. You don't need to do all that kind of stuff. I think that the echo was my uh, clue that Shalise, you might have something to add to this. Is it echoing every time I unmute myself? Yeah. Dang it, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no, I was just really glad that you brought that up, Doug, because there was an experience that I had with San Pedro and I don't know what it was, but I felt like I couldn't move and I'm just sitting there looking around at everyone that was there and kind of trying to put out signals with my eyes, like someone come help me. But when my friend came over who I was very close with, 
um, he started doing this weird energy work thing on me and it felt very invasive. And I don't know if it was like a masculine feminine, feminine thing, but I felt like I was being taken advantage of, even though he wasn't even touching me. And I was just like, not okay with it. And so another woman kind of saw the look in my eyes and she came and pulled me from the situation very calmly and just, Hey, let's get up and go out here. And I was so grateful to her for that. So being aware of your surroundings, being aware of how you're affecting other people, um, just self-awareness, I think is really important. And then also if you're the person that's facilitating that ceremony, making sure that you're keeping a close eye on everyone and people that are also trying to help other people and make sure that everyone feels safe and comfortable. Well said. The, the piece around self-awareness, I think is really important too. You know, one of the questions is kind of alluding to like, how do you, how do you be a space holder? How do you prepare to sit with somebody in an experience? And the answer inevitably for me comes to work on your own stuff, process your own stuff, because if you're not freed up, like the space that your stuff occupies means that you don't have this blank canvas or this mirror to sit with somebody and let them do their thing without injecting, like me injecting my own experience into their experience. And it prevents me from having the kind of self-awareness, at least that you're talking about. This is particularly important, I think, in, you know, we talk a lot about the exploration of the masculine and the feminine. And for male identifying or or men to not have done their stuff, there is a lack of self-awareness of what the female identifying or the woman's experience could be in a space where they're in the medicine and the male isn't, particularly around that safety, because of either their own personal experiences, the cultural experiences that they may have been raised in. As a man, I don't have a concept of what of, of what a woman needs to feel like from a firsthand perspective to feel safe. And I need to get out of my own head and out of my own mess to feel like I can be that mirror and just let them have that experience and not react so that they can feel safe. And so that I can respond in a way that is more intuitive and heart-based instead of brain-based for whatever that person might need. So the answer for me always seems to come back to that. If I do my own work, I have more capacity to be present for what other people might need me to be in that moment without having to think about it, without having to wonder. It just kind of happens. Whatever is needed happens. And it happens in a safer way the more of my own work I do. And that that's, I guess, I, I, I hesitate to say recommendations out of anything in this episode. It would be my invitation to people, really, if they're kind of in that space of agonizing, well, what do I do in order for, a, you know, for my own experience or for holding a space for other people is do your own work. Keep doing your own work. I, I to a degree, get paid to do this. And I'm still, I go to my therapist every month. I'm doing my own work all the time because the more I work with other people, the more I realize, Ooh, that could have gone sideways. If I hadn't done this, this, and this, I need to keep going because inevitably something's going to come up. That's going to touch on stuff that I haven't dealt with. And I would prefer not to have that backfire on someone that's close to me and someone that's trusting me. Yeah. And I think also just speaking from the female perspective, when it comes to holding space, 
um, for a female is asking consent for things. So can I hug you? Can I rub your back? Can I help you release this energy? Um, can I help you through this experience? Just a simple question really makes a big difference. Um, getting someone's consent so that <clears throat> like for me, I, when I had that San Pedro experience, it was not long after I discovered my memories of abuse. And I was still very much in that headspace of feeling victimized. And so when he came over me and was just like all of this energy and I felt almost victimized all over again. And I think that's what that other woman saw and kind of saved me from. So you don't know what everyone's going through. So just a simple question can make a huge difference. I think if he would have asked me, I probably would have said, mm, no, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> um, but with her, she did come over and say, hey, can I take you over here? Or do you want to come with me? And it was it was very much an invitation instead of just jumping in. If we're talking about things in sort of the, the ex-Mormon context, you know, Shalise, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it would be safe to assume that a male holding space for a female or female identifying that there is, it's a good idea to start from a place of assuming that they have been raised with a narrative that their body is not their own, and that's going to influence the interactions. Mm. Yeah, I think that's safe to assume. I think, again, it all just goes back to choosing the right person for your experience so that you can feel safe. If you don't feel comfortable um, being completely vulnerable with someone of the opposite sex, then find someone who you are comfortable with. Um, yeah, I think that's just a big part of it is realizing that when you go on a journey, you will be completely vulnerable with whoever you choose to be with in your space and just going into it ahead of time with the, the knowing or deciding that you want to be comfortable enough to do that with them. I think even if you don't know what's going to come up, maybe it gets to a point where you're not okay with it, but then you can take it as it comes, but at least as a starting point, choosing the right people to be with you in that moment. I wonder if there's an element in there of like going back to the, one of the first things we talked about is like, how do you find the substances? How do you have the experience? If it feels scarce, if it feels like, oh, an opportunity's come up, I have to grab it because if I don't, I'll never have it again. Feels like somebody is more likely to put themselves in a situation where they won't be completely safe. Yeah. And so again, the, the invitation would be to say, maybe it's okay to wait. Maybe it's okay to say no, because the situation in which you will feel safe will come around. It might be a little bit uncomfortable for a while but it's still okay to wait. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm getting a little drunk now, guys. <laughs> it was a good time to wrap up, but um, there's a couple of things I want to just hit on real quick. And some of this might get into the woo a little bit, but one of the guests we brought on, Cole Witty, was talking about how she had a mushroom experience and the mushrooms kind of told her that, you know, this psychedelic renaissance is happening and, she was needing to train up some space holders to really prepare for that. And I think you see that in a lot of different areas. And so if this is really happening and if you feel called to do this work and hold space for people, there's so many ways you can reach out to learn that one. I mean, doing yourself work is important. There's schools, there's lineages you can learn from. 
there's a lot of ways that you can kind of prepare yourself now to, to do this. Um, and maybe I'm just going to get back to the community plug a little bit, Peter, because I, I know there's a couple of small questions that we didn't get to. And I'm okay with that because I think there's an element of like, come to Facebook, find people there, come to the mighty networks even more. If you feel like you're really feeling called to doing the inner work, connecting with community, there's just so many more options there. And I know we say shameless plug, but like, I'm okay with that because yeah, it's shameless. There's no shame. It's shameless. There's no shame in it. And I know there's a fee of $5 a month, but like the space, because it's not on Facebook, it costs money to hold that space. And so we need to pay that back. And because it's, because it's not on Facebook, it opens up so many more possibilities of subgroups and, and workshops and, and connecting with you know people who might be more specific to your interests or in your area, there's just so much more functionality there because we're not on Facebook. And the five dollars a month, man, for what we're we're providing now and what we're going to provide, man, that's a, a drop in the bucket. I mean, we're doing share circles. We're going to be hosting breath work and meditation, and you know, I might I'm going to think I'm going to be doing like an intro to dream work thing here. So you're going to get there's so much value there, even if you don't do any of the workshops. And so I just want to plug that because I do think there's just an element of when you were talking about Peter, the human connection to answer all of your questions, because we can only get to like a handful of like maybe the broad questions here, but you might have so many more specifics. And then you might be like, you might go on like the spiritual quest and might want to lean more into tarot or breath or breath work the spiritual, but you might find interest in like Eastern philosophy or different specific categories that really, I don't know, that space is just so cool. And I'm loving the vibe there. I'm loving the people that we have there. And I just want to, I want to plug it shamelessly because it's rad. (laughs) It's it's really valuable to, to delineate, I think, what the difference is between that space and the Facebook group. And so the Facebook group as a support community is a really easy entry point for people who want to start connecting with others, whether you're a fan of the podcast or we have a lot of people in there who've never even heard of the podcast. Isn't that that, that awesome? I love that. I know the algorithm sends them there or their friends invite them and it's a well-curated space. We've got a really, really good mod team that try and keep a container curated for people to, to basically be safe. But let's be real. There's almost 1500 people in that group right now. It's difficult to make deep personal connections. The hope for the mighty network community is to essentially be for people that are saying, no, I want to go deeper. I want to do my own work. I want to go and work in a place and work with people and connect with people that a, really, really feel safe for me to dive deep and do the vulnerable work that I need to do that that isn't Facebook, because like, I don't know that anybody feels 100% safe on Facebook. But the fact that there's not 1500 people there is not a detraction, it's a bonus, because this is a very, very intimate gathering space. And I don't, I don't know that we would ever want it to get to that size, because something would get lost. And so the barrier for entry being a little bit of money really self-censors or self-filters out all of the people that are like tourists who could get the kind of experience that they need from the Facebook group 
maybe they pop in once, maybe they leave, or they just want to learn the basics and they just want to maybe comment on an episode of the podcast, which is wonderful. And it's a great space for that. And it's super active and it's a lot of fun. But if you really want to go deeper, if you're like, okay, a year from now, I want to be a fundamentally different person than I am today. This is the group that you want to be working with because we're there intentionally. Nobody's there to kind of hang out and have fun. We're there to do the work. We're there to show up and support other people doing the work and have support people, have people support us. And so for, for, you know, the group of us having this conversation who are on there as kind of administrators and are helping to run and craft this along with a couple of other people. Yeah. But we're all doing our own work too in that space as humans. And it's amazing. It's, it's been one of the joys of my life in the last few months seeing what that place has become. And I would not be the person I am without having that experience and then go backwards. I would not be the person I am without having experiences in the Facebook group. And before that, the podcast and before that, and before that, all these things are building on the thing before. And that kind of energy is what this space brings in. And for anybody for whom that resonates, we would love to have you come and check it out. There is a two week free trial. It costs five bucks a month for now. Um, and it's just amazing. Go to community.mormonsonmushrooms.com. Link in the show notes. Boom. Yeah, boom. <laughs> My bucket is so warm right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. All right, guys. The Utah Jazz opened their season tonight, and I would like to go home and watch the fourth quarter. So okay. nice. Okay. Thanks, team. Love y'all. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to Mormons on Mushrooms podcast. We have so much fun recording it. And if you love it, we would absolutely love it. If you could leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts, it would really help our visibility so more people can listen to it and be enlightened and hear our crazy stories. So thanks again for tuning in.